Hey guys, Marvin here. As you may have heard from previous episodes, Jess, Hannah, and myself are all away in Italy at the same time for Jess's wedding. And so we're not putting out any new episodes of Good Pop for the next few weeks, but I don't want to leave you hanging. So for this week, we're dropping in an episode of my other podcast, Books and Boba, which is a book club podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. Um, this is our mid-month episode for September, where we go over the latest Asian American book news and publication announcements. So you can check out what's popping in the world of Asian American books. Um, so yeah, please enjoy books and boba and if you like the show please subscribe to us on um, your favorite podcatcher as well thanks and enjoy you're listening to Welcome to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Riva Yu. And we are here today for our September 2023 mid-month book news check-in, where we go over the latest Asian American-related publication and book news. Um, as always, the Books and Boba podcast is supported by our listeners on patreon.com slash booksandboba, where members can have access to our exclusive Books and Boba Discord server, as well as our monthly bonus Boba Chat episodes. So if you want to help support Books and Boba and help us cover more books by Asian and Asian American authors, um, head on over and become an official Patreon member. Um, but yeah, we are now at the middle of September. Man, it's going so fast. And um, I know um, Rira and I have been in a production, I guess, marathon this month because I am actually leaving um, the country for a few weeks for my delayed honeymoon at the end of September. I'll be in Spain and Italy. And so Rira and I have been kind of booking a ton of author interviews so that we will have content for you while I'm gone. But as a result, man, we, we, we've been reading a lot these past few weeks. Yeah, yeah. Who needs grad school when you <laughs> assign your own assigned readings? I know. And they've been like pretty hefty books too. Not to say that we regret it, but it's just, you know, this is how this is how much we care about our show and what we do and the content we bring you. And uh, we really really appreciate everyone who has supported us either by becoming a member of our Patreon or by leaving a nice review. And we've been getting some really nice ones lately. So um, if you do like our show, another way to support is to leave a rating review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever they do stars and reviews because um, those do help us um, reach newer audiences, which is how podcasts can grow and become better. So thank you for all. Thank you to everyone who has supported us. Um, but yeah, I guess with all that housekeeping out of the way, let's get into it. Uh, Rira, what is our first book deal of the month? All right. So our first book deal is Harper Via Acquired World English Rights to Translator Anton Hur's debut novel, Toward Eternity. Set in a near future when a nanotech cancer therapy is developed to replace every cell of the body with artificial cells, the book sets out to answer the question, what makes us human in a world where technology is fast catching up to biology? Publication is set for summer 2024. Nice. Congrats to Anton, who is a former Books and Boba guest. He was our very first translator that we interviewed. Um, our first and only translator, actually. We should probably try to get more translators on this show. But really cool to see him debut his work. Um, this book sounds really interesting. It's like the type of sci-fi speculative fiction that, that I really like as well, which is like asking questions about the future of 
like what makes us human in a world where like say you do live forever right yeah this actually kind of reminds me of the movie elysium it's not a good movie but uh it is about rich people who have access to technology where they can pretty much cure cancer and live forever whereas like the people who still live in uh poor societies they don't have access to that type of uh, health technology, pretty much an allegory for what is happening in American healthcare today. Uh, but congratulations to Anton on his debut novel. And also congratulations to uh, Anton for getting uh, nominated for uh, National Book Awards Best Translated Work. Uh, Anton translated Bora Chung's Curse Bunny, and that was long listed. And we're going to get to the National Book Awards uh, finalists in our news uh, segment. So stick around for that. All right. Um, our next deal, Coca-Cola Bought Everything We Never Had by NBA finalist Randy Ribeye, who was the author of the past um, Books and Mobile pick, Patron Saints of Nothing. The YA novel is about the complicated dynamics of father and son relationships across four generations of Filipino, four generations of a Filipino-American family told through intertwining timelines that focus on each character at age 16, facing a pivotal life moment. Publication is set for fall 2024. Interesting. Another family saga. Um, I feel like we forget that our parents were also teenagers. So I think this is a great way to explore that idea of, yeah, our parents and grandparents were teenagers too. And they went through probably similar emotions that we went through as teenagers and made dumb mistakes. So I think it's a pretty cool idea. And how sometimes generational trauma is just cyclical trauma. Like we just do what we do because that's how we were taught. And um, yeah. Yeah, I'm ending my generational trauma, generational curse by making sure that the next generation does not exist in (laughs) my family. So (laughs) that's my way of uh, ending generational trauma. But yeah, yeah, congratulations to Randy. Uh, I really loved Patron Saints of Nothing. That's probably one of my favorite books that we've read for a book club. And I loved our discussion on it. So check that out if you guys have not listened to that episode. All right, our next book deal is Putnam Bought Kareem Between by Shifa Satalgi Safadi, a novel in verse about a Syrian-American middle schooler who loves football, his Muslim faith, and his country. The book is also about the painful conflict when his identity comes under attack. Publication is planned for fall 2024. Yeah, so I'm guessing because uh, Kareem is Syrian-American, football is actually American football and not like soccer football, which is how... Uh, the rest of the world <laughs> says soccer. That's really interesting to me because I feel like football, American football really is hard to grasp as an immigrant. <laughs> and I don't know. It's like, it's kind of impressive that a middle schooler is into that sport. I mean, it's hard to grasp if you are the immigrant, but I'm assuming that he's either um, a, a second generation, 1.5 generation. And you yeah, know, if you grow yeah. up in America, like football is much more easier to grasp because you're surrounded by it. And I can kind of relate too, because, you know, I didn't know anything about football until 
I had to go to games in high school because I was in the marching band and strangely got into it. And that led me to like, watching pro football and things like that. So there's definitely something to be said about like that, that tension between your American cultural identity that you grew up under and also your, your heritage and religious identity that you grew up with at home and how those interact with each other and how sometimes they don't interact with each other well. And I think that's a really cool story to tell in like a middle grade format. Yeah, I remember in middle school, uh, because I grew up in a town where football was a really big thing. Um, like our teachers would ask us like, oh, like, what's your team? And as someone who did not grow up watching football, and even though I'm like generation 1.75, I was like, I don't know. I don't know the rules of football. I don't really understand the point of the sport. And um, it was just like really weird because like everyone in my class had their team, their favorite athlete. And it just felt like a moment of just like, am I not American enough? Because I do not understand football and I don't really follow this <laughs> pastime. So I feel like it is, um, you know, it is a balancing act, like, you know, finding your identity through um I mean, it's, it is a balancing act, you know, respecting your heritage and also your American middle school experience. So congratulations to Shifa. Yeah. Um, all right. Next up, Kids Can Press bought world rights to Ahimsa is Everywhere by Suma Subramaniam, uh, a picture book that explores the concept of Ahimsa, a philosophy of universal love, especially in times of adversity. Aparna Varma will illustrate. Publication is set for spring 2025. I'm not super familiar with this term, so um, I don't have much to add, except um, I can get behind a philosophy of universal love. Yeah, it's pretty much like um, the concept of nonviolence, which is what I'm getting from Google. <laughs> um, yeah, pacifism. Yeah, that is what I'm getting from from Google. See, this is how like ignorant I am. So I could probably use this book. Yeah. All right. Next up, Sleeping Bear Press acquired world rights to My Name is I Lin, written by Maria Wen, written by Maria Wen Adcock and illustrated by Yu Ting. The picture book speaks to how correct pronunciation of a person's name can show respect and inclusivity of one's identity and heritage. Publication is set for fall 2025. Interesting. This is like a really interesting concept for both Rira and myself because we both have names um, that are nigh impossible for Western tongues to pronounce correctly. Yeah, yeah. And also, like, I feel guilty because I've definitely mispronounced uh, mispronounced authors' names on this podcast. And it's like, it's not because, you know, I don't respect you. It's because there is no phonetic guide or you're not there in person to correct me. It yeah. is very frustrating when you do teach someone how to pronounce your name, like, a couple times and they still fail to grasp it, which is definitely something that I encountered <laughs> growing up. Yeah, at some point... Just the effort is fine. Like I used to accommodate for them. So here's an easier way to like approximate. But these days I just say my name and then they can deal with it as they do. Because my my surname, yeah, is that UE sound is there's no phonetic like in the yeah. Western tongue for it. So it's really hard to get. It's like a very like like I can't even explain it, but it's just a sound that like is not does not exist in romance languages. 
Yeah. I mean, I get weirded out when uh, Korean people pronounce my name by the correct pronunciation, like the authentic Korean pronunciation, because mm-hmm. I'm just not used to hearing it outside of my family. So like, I remember like for work, uh, a Korean American colleague was like, oh, how do I pronounce like your Korean Korean name? It's like, oh, it's Rita. And they're like, okay, I'm going to call you that. I'm like, please don't. <laughs> like, please, please don't call me that. I feel like I just don't identify with the actual pronunciation of my Korean name. So let's just stick with the American <laughs> pronunciation. Yeah, but I feel like this book is, I think it's probably more for the people doing the pronunciation to like, because I think, like I mentioned, like just making the effort says a lot. Like you don't have to like master it. It'd be nice if you did, but the fact that you ask and you make an effort, I think that's more than enough like compassion empathy to like make me think you're like to, to make me think better of you and i think that's yeah. ultimately the we're ultimate not asking goal. for yeah. much we're asking that you kind of meet us halfway and put in a little bit of the effort and kind of get into the ballpark of the pronunciation yeah yeah because you know if we were to do true pronunciations and like every like I wonder how many people's minds would be blown when they realize that Chang does not sound it's like Chang. Chang. It's Chang yeah, or, or Zhang in, in Chinese. Like Chang is not, there is no Chang. Or Park is Pak. Yeah. But. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, we're too far along for, for that to, uh, to catch yeah, it. Yeah, romanization is, is really weird. It's not accurate at all. But you know what? It's fine. That's the part of immigrating to a country where they don't speak your language. You gotta, <laughs> yeah. gotta, Gotta give them some slack. <laughs> All right, our next deal. Abrams Appleseed bought Aliyah Jalil's interactive board book, Eid Tale, a celebration of the Muslim holiday of Eid, featuring gatefolds, die-cut pages, and illustrations centered around different aspects of the holiday. Publication is scheduled for spring 2024. Hey, another Eid book. Woo. I love it because um, as someone who used to work at a bookstore, like, we... <laughs> We're desperately needing books on other holidays outside of Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving. So (laughs) it's because you have young readers of color and you want to have books that you can give them that like explores heritage and their holidays because God forbid if their parents don't teach them about the meaning and significance of their (laughs) holidays, at least they have something to, yeah. to teach them about it. So really, really glad. Yeah, and I love these interactive board books. I have a memory of having one of these. It wasn't about any heritage holidays, but it was a Care Bearers interactive board books that taught me how to count. And like every like flap is like a different number of Care Bearers. I remember, I remember really like that as a kid. I don't think I had any um, interactive board books. Uh, <laughs> the only board books I remember is like reading to my baby brother actually i discovered a lot of picture books through that avenue because (laughs) i feel like i skipped the picture book phase i don't know why but my parents thought it was it was better to buy me adult books and encyclopedias (laughs) and completely skip that phase it was kind of like she'll figure it out oh no so (laughs) did not have that novelty i feel very sad for your childhood rira I remember I got this uh, huge encyclopedia for like my fifth birthday and um, 
it was just like an encyclopedia on just like a bunch of different things. And my tutor at the time, my English tutor at the time, uh, she saw that I was going through, I was flipping through it and she was like, hey, can I borrow this? Because she was studying for uh, med school and it had like a section on uh, anatomy. Wait, was it wasn't an actual encyclopedia or like a children's encyclopedia? Because I, no, I had a children's actual, encyclopedia. It was an actual encyclopedia, Marvin. Wow. Yeah, I had a children's encyclopedia that had like pictures with every entry and that was really fun to read. But- I mean, for my parents, it's like, oh, this has... This this has uh, pictures and diagrams, so like I guess it's like child appropriate. <laughs> so I still have that encyclopedia. It's it's at my parents' house, but wow. yeah, that that was my childhood uh, reading material growing up, <laughs> which explains so much. All right, our next book deal in a two book deal, Bloomsbury acquired world rights to celebrating Dongji by Michelle Jing Chan. After a family moves across state lines, a girl can't help but compare the different winters. It isn't until Ye Ye convinces her to celebrate Dongji on the longest cold night that winter symbolizes hope and rebirth. And no matter where they are, a home is rooted in family. Publication is set for fall 2025. Yeah, Dongji is the winter solstice festival for, for Chinese people. And... I know it as the Tangyuan Festival because it's the festival where we eat the glutinous rice balls with the black sesame fillings. I don't know if you ever had that as like a... I, I have had that, but <laughs> yeah, I've never heard of this holiday before. Again, an Asian holiday that I did not know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny because um, those of us who grew up like second generation, we know these holidays by what food we eat for by the holiday. By what food you eat <laughs> yeah. because your parents don't explain it to you and you're they're just like, here you go. <laughs> yeah, like Duan Wujie, the Dragon Ball Festival is um, Zongzi, the, um, the Chinese like... The Chinese tamale, right? Like the sticky rice wrapped in leaves. Dongchoujie, the Mid-Island Festival, is where we eat mooncake. And then Dongji, the Winter Solstice Festival, is when we eat tangyuan, the glutinous rice balls. So, yeah, that's it's really funny because I had to look up what this holiday was on Wikipedia. And it's like, oh, yeah, the picture on it is a bunch of tangyuans. Yeah. I mean, Korean festivals are the same way, right? Every festival has a different, like, specific Okay, food here's the thing. I only know two festivals, two <laughs> Korean festivals, and it's uh the Lunar New Year uh celebration and the mid um and the mid autumn festival. So Chuseok and um <laughs> Seolnal. And the only like for Lunar New Year, we we eat like rice cake soup. Mm. And then for the mid autumn festival, we eat songpyeon, which is like glutinous uh rice cakes with like uh sesame and uh, pine nuts inside. But any other festival, I don't know. <laughs> I I honestly don't know. My parents did not educate me on them. And quite frankly, like, I feel like Korean Koreans just eat whatever they want whenever they want. Because, like, the rice cake soup that you eat on Lunar New Year, I've eaten that for lunch, like, <laughs> casually. Like, in the middle of summer. So it really... I don't think there's like a strict uh, schedule for <laughs> these types of food. <laughs> fair. That's fair. <laughs> All right. Um, our next book deal, Little Brown Acquired This Book Won't Burn by Samir Ahmed, um, about a teenage girl who must stand up to her school's book banning policies. Publication is planned for summer 2024. While wow, ripped from the headlines. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you guys follow all of the book banning uh, hearings that has been happening, but there was one yesterday and I was watching it live and it was like I had to shut it off because 
a lot of the Republican politicians were just like, these books are teaching kids about anal plugs and pornography. And I'm like, no, they're not. I wonder if they actually cracked open those books. But uh, yeah, it was just a lot of like fear mongering and inaccurate uh, claims. And I was like, wow, these are the people (laughs) who are running our you know, these are the people in charge of what's going to be let into classrooms. And it's really sad because a bunch of uh, classrooms in Texas, and I know that recently a library in Virginia got completely shut down because of book bans. So it's really nice that there is a book about fighting book bans. Yeah, for the kids to learn about what's going on in the world, because you know, someone will read this and say, "Surely, there's no. This is not based in reality," and then realize, "No, it is very much based in reality." And we need to, we need to stand up. It's like the new Fahrenheit 451 for Generation <laughs> Alpha. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that's true. All right. Next up, Inkyard Press acquired Susan Lee's next YA rom-com, The Romance Rivalry. When a college-age romance book reviewer decides to follow popular romance tropes to find her own first love, a rival reviewer challenges her to see who can find love via trope first and may just prove why Enemies to Lovers is the best of them all. Uh, Mabel Sue at HarperCollins will edit, and the publication is set for summer 2025. And the reason why I included the um, editor um, from HarperCollins is because Inkyard Press has now shut down. So we've covered this a couple of months ago. So all of the books that were uh, under Inkyard, they're finding new homes. And Inkyard is... um, Inkyard was an imprint of HarperCollins. So I'm really glad that Susan is getting her book uh you know it actually has a publisher (laughs) and this book sounds really interesting it's like super meta um i love that it's like a trope off like it's idea that we've seen in other rom-coms before but not to this level this is like doubling down on the meta nature of rom-com um tropes and i'm guessing that these reviewers are like book talkers you know (laughs) who are like talking smack (laughs) about each other um and other bad books that they've read (laughs) i mean what's your what's your favorite romance trope marvin as someone who has now read a bunch of romance novels my favorite um i don't think i'm as fond as enemies to lovers as most people are um just because i feel like in my personal life, if you make a bad impression, I'm just not going to talk to you again. Um, I don't know what my favorite is. I kind of just like a very chill, like, strangers to lovers, like, progression. I think that, for me, is the most pleasant to read. Maybe yeah, I just don't, I mean, like, drama's fun and all. But when there's no drama, I think I feel good about it, you know? I mean, I don't know if it's a romance trope, but I do love couples that are like you have one really grumpy person who is like an old person who doesn't want to go out and is like (laughs) not very sociable and then you have the other partner who is very like sunshine very like you know social and i just like love that pairing it could be enemies to lovers or it could be like childhood uh friends to lovers i just love that chemistry like an odd couple thing but not to the level yeah. of like manic pixie dream girl odd couple but more like just you know functional odd couple right yeah yeah well susan lee's book the name drop just came out uh this week 
So I'm really excited to dig into that book. And uh, congratulations to Susan on having another book lined up. Yeah. All right. Next up, Pixel and Ink Acquired Gamers, a middle grade series by E.C. Myers in which a group of kids who love gaming comes together to form a competitive esports league and discovers that strategies and gaming also help them handle other issues in their lives. Publication of the first book is scheduled for spring 2025. You know, I find it hilarious that schools now have esports teams and video <laughs> game clubs because growing up as a millennial, like there was like this huge scare campaign for parents being like video games will lead your child to be delinquents. And now it's like, oh, it's a viable career, by the way, if you're an <laughs> esports player and you get to a level where you're like really good. You can I make that a profession. I haven't followed like these professional esports circuit in a while, but I did see rumblings that like the Overwatch um, world is kind of crumbling down. But I think the um, like the Dota stuff is still like alive and well, right? Like StarCraft. League of Legends is running pretty strong. Yeah, um, I do love this concept of a sports story, but with esports. I kind of wish we had like these leagues when I was in high school too, because we had to like. Like, I grew up in a time when we didn't have, like, broadband internet. Like, LAN parties were a thing. Like, we couldn't just play online. We had to go bring our computers to each other's houses, connect to, like, a hub with Ethernet cables and, like, play against each other through that. So, you know, um, it's kind of fun to see the progression of of um, how people game. Yeah, and I feel like kids these days, they do most of their socialization through games because... Um, one, COVID really <laughs> blocked people from meeting each other in real life. So I feel like a lot of kids, they bonded through games. Um, and for people who, you know, have never played games before, I think COVID really brought them into the gaming world, uh, whether it was through Animal Crossing or uh, Among Us. Remember that in like <laughs> the first three months of the pandemic? That's all what people played. Yeah, that's how I went on dates with my um, now wife. We met each other on each other's islands on Animal Crossing. It was a good time. All right. So our last book deal is Holiday House Bought World Rights to The Mithai Box Is Not Empty, written by Namrata Agarwal, illustrated by Parvati Pillai. In the celebration of kindness and Indian desserts, a girl hosts a chai party and shares a box of her favorite sweets. She worries there won't be enough for her too, but her daddy has a surprise. Publication is planned for summer 2025. This sounds cute. A chai party. I want to be invited. That sounds great. <laughs> That's just a tea party, right? But what, like, the best tea. <laughs> chai yeah. tea is, like, so laborious to make, which is why it tastes so good. Yeah. So, yeah. Just chai. Chai tea is tea tea. And I that's that true. from yeah. Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we were talking about tea parties. I was like, chai tea party, but (laughs) chai party. Yeah. Yeah. And those are our book deals for our September 2023 check-in. As always, if we've missed anything or if anything comes up that you think uh, we'd be interested in, please let us know either on Goodreads or on our Discord server if you're a Patreon subscriber. Um, We appreciate any help you'll give us. But moving on to the book news segment, and I guess it's awards season, right? Because we have a bunch of... um, a bunch of awards news this month. Yeah, it was award season. I know a bunch of awards were announced, but we're going to focus on uh, finalists who are of Asian descent. So um, here we go. 
The 2023 National Book Award long list for young people's literature was released on September 13th. So yesterday, as of this recording, uh, the five finalists will be named on October 3rd and the winner will be announced during an award ceremony on November 15th in New York City. They always have a live stream available for the award ceremony, so you can always uh, watch it as it is happening. And the finalists who are of Asian descent for the Young People's Literature Award, uh, we have Huda F. Cares by Huda Fami. And this is a graphic novel, and it's a sequel to Huda F. Are You? And it follows Huda, who struggles with self-acceptance when her family goes on a road trip to Disney World, where she can't help but notice that people are staring at her and her family when they are praying in public. So, yeah, yeah. That, that's Huda an experience. Huda F. Cares, work. indeed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the next finalist is Parachute Kids by Betty C. Tang. Um, this graphic novel follows Fong Li and her two siblings who must learn to adapt and fend for themselves in California under the care of family friends when expired visas force their parents to return to Taiwan. Yeah, yeah. The term Parachute Kid, it's been thrown around a lot in this podcast because we read uh, books about similar experiences. Yeah. All right. And the last book on our list for the Young People's Literature Award nominees is A First Time for Everything by Dan Santat. And this is a graphic memoir by him. And it chronicles his travels through France, Germany, Switzerland and England as an awkward middle schooler who is used to being isolated in order to preserve himself from bullies, self-preserve himself from bullies. Um, I think it's really cool that you got to visit all these countries as a middle schooler yeah what the hell <laughs> this sounds like a great life not the bullying part but the traveling to all the different countries uh, i wish the only country i traveled to when i was a kid was taiwan and that was just during i mean the summer. i got to visit london and paris when i was in middle school but i feel like i don't know it it, it sounds like dan went on a trip with his school like it doesn't sound like a family trip so I feel like you got you got a lot more freedom than, than That's I did. That's true. But then when you're a kid that young, though, I don't think the trip is like you want to be at home with your friends playing video games. Like the last thing you want to do is like go to weird places that you don't care about yet. Yeah. 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 But congratulations to all of the nominees, not just the Asian ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll follow up but- on... Especially the Asian ones. Yeah, but especially the Asian ones because we are Team Asian on this podcast. Yeah, um, we're proud of you. Yeah, yeah, we are very proud of you. Thank you for repping us. Uh, all right, so our last piece of news is that the Pulitzer Prize Board, uh, they came out with a statement and they have expanded their eligibility for their books, drama, and music awards to include permanent residents and those who have made the U.S. their primary home. I don't know what that means. It's very vague, but I think they're referring to undocumented uh, writers who have lived here for a long time, but they haven't really given a lot of details on that uh, requirement. And the yeah, because permanent residents usually refer to green card holders, of which I am one. So this means I can win a Pulitzer now. Yeah, but it's also those who have lived in the U.S. for a long time. So I'm guessing it's right. not just restricted to uh, permanent residents because they wouldn't have added that. Um, but the amended criteria is going to go into effect at the beginning of the 2025 award cycle. 
this change was enacted after a collective of writers wrote a letter to the Pulitzer board um, on August 8th. And this letter was sent following Javier Zamora's op-ed piece, It's Time for the Pulitzer Prize for Literature to Accept Non-Citizens. And I think it really opened a lot of people's eyes to, wait, this is this is a thing? Like, writers that I follow who are extremely talented but happen to be not American citizens aren't getting nominated for these awards. Um, so a bunch of authors signed the letter, including a bunch of Asian American writers who we've had as uh, Books and Boba guests and also authors of our past book club picks. Um, some of the writers included were Rita Chang Epig, Vanessa Hua, Mira Jacob, Rachel Kong, Lisa Ko, Iris Yamashita. Um, so yeah, there was a big, so yeah, there was like a big support network for, um, for this letter. And I'm just going to read an excerpt from the letter. Um, it says, we implore you to update your requirements for the Pulitzer Prize to include the work of our peers who through accidents of geograph, <sighs> nah, geography. All right. So I'm going to read an excerpt from the letter and I think it's like pretty powerful. Uh, we implore you to update your requirements for the Pulitzer Prize to include the work of our include the work of our peers who, through accidents of geography, of violence, of violence perpetrated on our lands and the personal familial reckonings with survival, have come to have or have been born into a mixed or undocumented status. Whether undocumented writers are writing about the border or not, their voices are quintessentially part of what it means to belong and struggle to belong in this and to this nation. Yeah. I think this is a good move because, you know, citizenship is a social construct. Um, it doesn't really have anything to do with culture, per se. And the tapestry of, like, the American, like, American literature spans, like, those political, you know, borders, right? Um, because refugee stories, immigrant stories, undocumented stories, those are all important parts of the American story and the type of place that like this country could be right. Like a better world is possible through these stories. Um, so I think it's really cool that, um, that they did expand their eligibility, but also not very cool that they only barely just did that. Yeah. I mean, the Pulitzer prize existed for how many years and yeah. they're, and they just opened it to permanent residents. I was like, I thought permanent residents were already accounted for in their eligibility. Yeah, it's, it is wild because the Pulitzer Prize in my head is like one of the highest honors, like literary honors. And the fact that people who weren't American citizens were not eligible for that award, even for works published in and by like American publishers about American stories, seems like, yeah, just wild. It's just almost yeah, unbelievable. And the fact that it was, you know they only felt compelled to change it after an op-ed came out and a bunch <laughs> of writers decided to write a letter to them. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I feel like you guys are really late. You guys dropped the ball on this one. As an organization who like supposedly celebrates American, I guess uh, American works at the highest level, it seems like this is something they should have gotten ahead of. And it really says a lot about these like, you know, long-running institutions, like, just because they have, like, just because they espouse certain ideals does not mean they necessarily follow them or have updated them for modern times. 
And just to be clear, the eligibility was changed for the books, drama, and music categories. So it wasn't just the book category <laughs> that uh, had like this stipulation before. It was drama and music. And I feel like that's wild too, because think of like, think of all of the really prominent musicians in the world. And it's just like, okay, so the ones who fled their countries and came to America, the ones who have been permanent residents here, like they weren't nominated for the music category. That's insane. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess, I guess congratulations to the Pulitzers for finally taking this steps. No, but don't more say seriously, congratulations. congratulations to everyone who pushed them to force their hand to make this decision. Like this wouldn't have happened if you didn't speak up and put your voice and names behind this movement. So um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for being a real one. Yeah. Repping Asians. Woo. Okay. <laughs> All right. And I guess with that, that'll do it for this, um, our September, 2023 mid month book news check in. Um, we were, as always, thanks for um, compiling all the news um, that we covered today. Uh, before we go, do you want to remind us what we are reading uh, for book club this month? Yeah, we are reading The Family Chow, written by Lan Samantha Chang. And it's a story about a restaurant family. So this is a genre that uh, Marvin is a big fan of. Yeah, um, it follows a an Americanized Chinese restaurant family in the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin. And what happens when the patriarch is found murdered? So a little bit of um, a little bit of Rira's jam in there too to make this like a good books and boba book sandwich for us to enjoy. Yeah, <laughs> I like uh, murder. I like food. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll be discussing this book at the end of the month. Uh, but if you've already finished the book and many of our members on Discord have already finished it and are waiting eagerly for our discussion, uh, feel free to give your thoughts on either our Goodreads group or our Discord server. Um, as always, uh, we love to include your thoughts in our episodes whenever possible. So, uh, But with that, that'll do it for this episode of Books and Boba. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Rira Yu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Charlene Kay. I'm a musician, songwriter, and guitarist. Growing up, I loved music. Whether it was pop, acoustic, emo, I ate it all up. But as a Chinese-American kid living in Scottsdale, Arizona, I also felt isolated, never really seeing artists who looked like me or shared my experiences. So after years of performing on stages all over the world, I wanted to create a space to highlight the amazing Asian musicians who I knew were out there, just not always getting played on the radio. 
That's why I started Golden Hour, a podcast where Asian singers, songwriters, instrumentalists, and music producers share their personal stories. And it's a space for you to discover your new favorite artist. Listen to Golden Hour with me, Charlene Kay, wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. 